I'm gonna pray. How about that? Let's pray and get going this morning on Ruth chapter four. Pray with me. Father, uh, I pray that these are your words. I pray that um, whatever you want us to walk away with, God, I pray that this is... um, that's where we go. And so thank you so much that you have such intention and that, you know, as we read through these words, like we, we see little nuances and things that we never saw before. And I love that you do that just for us. And, and, and I just pray that we see that. We see that as your hand, as your fingerprints, God. Thank you for the story. Thank you for what it shows us about you and, and ultimately the kinsman redeemer that is, has come and will come again. Thank you, Lord. Um, and it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter four. Can you believe? Can you believe? We're like round and third. How about that? Baseball reference, World Series. Yeah, how about that? I don't even do baseball. There's, anyway, we're getting close. Um, And and I feel like we need to just dive right in. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read um, chapter four, verses 13 through 22. This is the last part of our story. Um, And I'm gonna read it to you. And then I'm gonna take a right turn. Okay, so there we go, there's that. Um, Follow along with me if you have your Bible. Verse 13 starts this way. So Boaz took Ruth, right? We're so happy. And she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. And she's given birth to him. Verse 14, then Naomi took the child and laid him upon her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminabad. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. And if you're like me, the first time you read that, you were like, okay. I don't know those people, right? I don't know those names. I don't know what they mean. But here's what I want you to know. This section is so incredibly full with good news. It's, it's like over and over, like these verses, these little phrases, the Lord gave her, you know? Like they realize like the fact that she's having this baby wasn't just chance. It wasn't just luck. It wasn't just karma. It was God saying, I got you, I got this. Yeah, That phrase, blessed be the Lord, he has not left you. These women are praising God on behalf of Naomi. They know what she came, remember when she came back? Remember what her name was? Bitter. And now look what God's done. He's laid this baby in her lap and she gets to essentially be this crazy grandma, right? Like, and love this baby. We see that um, there's this new redeemer mentioned and that's Obed. And you'll talk about that a little bit more when you go over your homework that all of a sudden now, this is like, whoa, surprise of the story. This new redeemer is gonna be a restorer of life and a nourisher of her old age. It's like, it's like all these words are just awesome, right? 
It's like chapter one is so long ago. We forgot about all the funerals and the famine. And, and now we're in chapter four. And now we get to see Boaz become the, the father and ultimately the grandfather to the greatest Israelite king that ever lived, King David. So when they would have seen the words, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David, they would have been like, what? Because remember, the story took place, but then it was retold, right? It was retold years later. And we suspect it was probably actually retold during the days of King David's reign. And so this is like a twist at the end. And then it's like mic drop, right? I love that. I love that chapter one was awful and chapter four is everyone singing and happy and you know, kumbaya and hallelujah and all the things. Pain preceded the praise, right? Now we're in the praise. As I was getting ready for this lesson though, I started thinking like, for some reason, you don't need to know, get inside my head when you see me prepare for this because it is crazy, let's just say that. I couldn't get there. I mean, I was like, this is great news. I'm super happy and stuff. But like, I just kept hearing this, this, this um, question in my head, you know? So God's taken the pain and he's given reason to praise. And all I kept thinking about was this. What about when he doesn't? What about when we are stuck in chapter one? funerals and the famines, and we just don't even see a chapter four coming. What about those days? I, I don't know. Like I, I felt like God and I kind of wrestled through this a little bit this week because I was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm like you. We all have stories. We all have the chapter ones, and sometimes we have to be there for a while. Sometimes we get to move out of them. Sometimes we are like living in the trenches of it for years and years. And it's like that Psalm that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how long, how long, how long, right? Well, I thought about this quote. Um, years ago, a friend of mine shared this and, and I, it, never, it never goes away for me. And I thought about it this week and you may be thinking of it too. It was this, as she said this, I know that the Bible says that God loves me and he sees me and he knows where I am and that he ultimately redeems everything for his greater purpose. We know that. But what about when it doesn't feel true? What about when that just doesn't feel true? Well, we're gonna take a right turn. I want you to open your Bible to Psalms chapter 55. And let me give you a Bible trick, ready? If you have your Bible, do this and open it straight in the middle and it'll fall to Psalms. And you'll look really smart, like you know everything about where your books or your Bible are. It's just a little Bible tip for you, but um, Psalm 55 is where we're gonna be. And I know you're probably like, wait, what? We're studying Ruth. Yes, but the last word of the book of Ruth is what? David. And so it seemed logical to me to go follow um, the words of this future king in Psalm 55. I think it's this time in life where he is living a chapter one. And, and he doesn't see a way out, right? But we get to see this example of this godly king call out, cry out to God in his chapter one. And, and even when chapter four hasn't really come to fruition yet. So little background on this Psalm. 
It's, it's authored by David, I mentioned. And if you haven't studied the Psalms before, you can know David wrote at least half, maybe the majority of the Psalms. They're all prayers and praises. They're actually your words. It's really cool when you go look at it. Um, it's our feelings and our thoughts and it's just, it's just put on paper and they're beautiful. And so um, um, go investigate a little bit. I wanna tell you something about David too. And remember, this is why they would have been so excited in Ruth chapter four when they heard the word David. Here's why. This is how great David was. He's mentioned 971 times in your Bible. The only person in the Bible mentioned more times than David is who? Jesus. Crazy, right? He's called uh, essentially by God himself as a man after God's own heart. The only person in the entire Bible who's ever been given that title. How about that? And he's a mess. Anybody? If you study David before, you're like, man, after God's own heart, that means he's perfect. No, he's a mess, just like you. There's hope, right? Just like me, there's hope. He's the author of, of all these Psalms and, and he went for a from being a shepherd boy to a king and there's things we know about him, right? He's a giant slayer and all kinds of stuff. But here's what we know about this particular Psalm and I'm gonna read it and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Here's what we know. We know that he is in a dark, dark place because he has been betrayed, don't raise your hand, but anybody ever felt just so betrayed? Like betrayed by the closest people you have in your circle. Here's what we think. We don't know for sure. We think David wrote this in reference to being pursued and essentially a, a hope and a plan to kill him by his own son, Absalom. And if it wasn't about Absalom that he's talking about here, it was about his closest advisor, his very best friend, his BFF for years and years. His name was Ahithophel. And he was the one actually advising Absalom like, hey man, we need to take David down. We need to kill him. We need to take everything because it's not fair what you've had to endure. And, and let's just take him down. And so they are chasing him and David is um, completely broken because of this betrayal, Okay. I'm gonna read it. Just listen. If you wanna follow along, that's cool. But I want you to just hear the whole story. Just try to listen to the whole story, okay? And then we're gonna pull back and we're gonna see what we can learn from Psalm 55, from the words of King David about those times when we just don't feel like God's gonna redeem it, you know? <laughs> Psalm 55, it goes like this. And I brought my Bible with the smallest words in all of the land. So here we go. Give ear, O God, to my prayer and hide not yourself from my plea and mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger, they bear up a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. Verse six, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and I would be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away and I would lodge in the wilderness and I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city day and night. They go around, excuse me, they go around its, on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud. Do not depart from its marketplace, verse 12. For it is not an enemy that taunts me. Then I could bear it. 
It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. We used to go within God's house and we walked with the throngs. Let death steal over them. Let they go down to Sheol alive for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and my moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me, God will hear. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from old, because they do not, char- do not change and they do not fear God. Verse 20. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends and he violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. And his words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, and he finishes it with this sentence. But I will trust in you. That's a, lot, that's a mouthful, right? There's a lot going on there. Um, here's the thing. I think David's words in this, in this utter despair and this broken betrayal have a lot to say to us today. I don't know if you are in chapter one. If you are not, dwelling in the world of funerals and famines and just brokenness and uncertainty and seeing no hope. If you're not, then someone probably sitting next to you is. Someone in your house probably is. I, uh, I wonder, you know, if it's not betrayal for you, what is it? You know, what is it that just doesn't feel true that God is going to redeem? Is it, is it that you've got a marriage disintegrating? Is it um, that justice is not being served? Is it that um, you got loved ones that leave? Is it that there's a diagnosis on the horizon that is not hopeful? Is it that there's not healing happening? Is it that there's not a pregnancy coming or is it one that ended? Is it a healing that's not coming? I don't know, it could be grief, anguish, depression, stagnancy, gosh, it could be boredom. I don't know what the thing is, but there are things that absolutely rob us from the joy that we see in chapter four of Ruth. Seeing the baby landing in Naomi's lap when she's been so empty, right? We, we are robbed of that often. And so I wonder um, what can David teach us through this Psalm? Look, um, think about your place. Think about your chapter one. I don't know where it is. Think about it when, you, when, you, when we go through this. I got five things and, and then we'll wrap up. Five things that I feel like we can take from, cha- from uh, chapter 55 of the book of Psalms that, uh, that can help us in these places. The first is this, that when you are um, in those chapter one times, in those dark places of pain, that you can do what David did, you can cry out. First thing, cry out. Verses one and two, he says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. Give, he says, give ear, don't hide yourself. Attend to me, I'm restless, listen to me. 
I love that David starts out, he's man after God's own heart. And he's telling us right here, you still gotta cry out and you gotta beg and you gotta, you gotta plea, you know? Our betrayal that we deal with or our brokenness, you know, our chapter one stuff, it, it overwhelms us, doesn't it? That's what we see here with David. He's overwhelmed and he feels like trust is destroyed with people. And sometimes we let that carry over to God, right? Because we get real mad because he's not giving us what we think we deserve or what we want. And it makes us feel alone and exposed and vulnerable, right? All these things. Well, I love that we, we serve and love a God who understands all that, you know, because Jesus Christ himself, who was God and was man, you know, he came to earth and he was betrayed on the last night by his very best, best friends. Well, he understands, cry out to him. And the second thing I would say is, is um, retreat. Retreat, verses six through eight, we see something here and I wanna point out, I think there's a difference. I think in verses six through eight, it's like, I feel like David is saying, I need to escape. I want to escape. I want to go away and not face this, right? But I think we have to kind of reframe it. Verses six through eight, he says this, and I say, oh, that if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and I would be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away and I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. Look, there is a difference from escaping and retreating. And so if you need to get away, get away. Because when we're in these terrible dark places, sometimes we need to refuel, amen? We need to rest, we need to retreat. But there's danger when we try to escape, you see? It's, it's okay to be honest. It's okay to be honest before God and say, I just want to be done with this. I want to escape all of it. I want to hide or I want to, I want to run from it, right? It's okay to be honest. But then in that, we step up and we say, okay, God, take me to a place where I can process and recover and repair and prepare. And that's retreat. It's okay to pull back. I think we don't do that, right? We try to step in and be God, don't we? So sometimes I think we need to pull back. And I think that's what David is, is, is looking for. Let me give you a couple things to think about. First, before, before I do that, I was thinking um, that, you know, the idea of this temporary retreat, you know, the idea of pulling back to a safe place to kind of sort out your feelings, it's a good thing, but it's also good to always remember this, that um, while your chapter one, whatever you're walking through is, is unique and different and, and not everybody understands, there are are people that have been in your shoes and you're not alone. You're not the only one. A few years ago, my husband and I were going through like a really awful, um, it was like turns and turned into this big lawsuit. It was a lot of betrayal by people that we trusted. It was just gross. And um, I remember his dad, Calvin Murphy, if you know him, wisest man ever. He looked at Brent and Brent was like telling him all these things like, this is what's happening. And this is so unfair. And these people are getting away with this and this and this and this. And his dad just looked at him. You know, he said, he said, Hey Brent, you're not the first one. You're not the first one to suffer from this. You're not the first one to be betrayed. You're not the first one to be lied to, to lose. And in a real weird way, it like gave us both like this big, deep breath of like, it's okay to need to retreat from. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's not okay to camp and live there, you know? That's the difference. Well, retreat versus escape. So like, if you're gonna just retreat away, pull away from this chapter one for a minute and try to refuel, look at it this way. Retreat is when we lean into him. And when we escape, we run from him, amen? 
We've all been there. Like there's times in my life too, where things are so hard. It's like, I take my Bible and I shut it and I set it on the shelf and I'm like, not today. That's not retreat, that's escape. Another thing that retreat is, retreat is crying out in despair with God. And escape is going silent with God. I'm done. I got nothing to say to you because you're not doing what I want you to do. A retreat is seeking repair and recovery. An escape is avoiding change. You know why? Because change is painful, right? Because sometimes when we retreat and we have to actually kind of reframe everything, this whole chapter one, like we got to do some work. We don't want to do it, do we? We just want it to just magically change. Well, retreat is uh, moving through hard places. Escape is camping out in the hopeless places and just putting down your stakes and saying, this is where I am. So cry out, retreat, don't escape. Then third thing I think we see in Psalm 55 through David's words are that, uh, this is one of my favorites, be mad. Number three, be mad. It's biblical, watch, I'll show you. Verses nine and 15, those were two of the verses that I probably read and you were like, ooh, gross, they were uncomfortable. But this is what I love about the Psalms, right? The honesty, the beauty behind the whole thing is just so gritty and that's life. I mean, let me just say, pause. If we had a Bible that everything looked fluffy and pretty and beautiful, it would not be real, right? This is real. Well, verse nine and 15 are great examples of where David gets angry. He's mad, but he's honest. Verse nine, he says this, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Verse 15, another example, let death steal over them. That's, that's a significantly angry statement, right? The beauty of this is he's talking to God and he's so honest. I think we edit a lot, don't we? Sometimes we just think, I don't know, God can't handle it. I don't know what we think. Or that God doesn't know that you're really thinking, let death steal over these people. Instead, you're going, oh Lord, may they find salvation in you. You know, you're like, no, be real. He knows. It's okay. He can, he's God, you know, he can handle it. I will say this. I feel like um, being angry and honest is good. Have real thoughts, have real sorrow, have real fear, have real anger, but don't let it take control. That's where we get dangerous. Here's what happens. In Ephesians 4, verses 26 through 27, Paul tells us exactly what happens, okay? It happens to every single one of us. You're gonna relate. He says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27, this is what I think we really need to focus on. Give no opportunity to the devil. What does that mean? What does that even mean? Here's what it means. It means that there is an enemy, alive and active, looking for the weak spots, looking for the places, the, the opportunities, right? To exploit pain and struggles and whisper in your ear. And this is what he says, okay? So if you've heard this recently, listen to me. This is not God's voice. This is what he says. He says, God isn't just God isn't fair. He wouldn't have let this happen to you if he loved you. He's not gonna fix this. You're a mess. You cannot go back to him. Anybody ever heard those words? I hear those words all the time. And I'm constantly like, that is not his voice. 
It's how he works, you know, to get even with Christians. Whether you are a Christian and you have given your heart to Jesus or not, he works to try to betray your trust in God. He does it to us and he uses anger to do it, right? It's like David's mad, but then remember, David's gonna flip the switch in just a minute and go back to praising God. Do you go back to praising God or do you stay in the mad? Do you listen to the voices telling you, yeah, God, God's not good enough for you because he let this happen? He targets our weak spots when we have a complaint against God, right? He, he tempts us to doubt the goodness of God. He'll get you to try to doubt whether God's even listening at all when you pray. You ever felt that? You know, sometimes I feel that. You're not even listening to me. Think about those times and do not let the enemy take control of your anger. Be mad and then, number four, say it and mean it. And this is what I mean by that. Say it and mean it. Look at verses 16 through 19-ish. You remember, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad. He's saying all these things, right? But, but the devil's not getting a foothold because then he turns it back around. And he says, but I call to you, God. And the Lord will save me. See that will, not maybe might. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and my moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear. I love that because what we gotta do, I think about is praising. It's like, okay, that's how we praise God. We say, you know what? All this stuff is happening. All these things I'm mad about, all this chapter one nonsense is happening, but I will call to God and he will hear me. In this uh, verse 16, he actually uses the term. There's lights. Remember, um, we talked about this before. There's lots of words for God and not that he's different people or different gods. He's one God, but, but I love in the Old Testament and the Hebrew, there's all these different cool names for God. And the particular name that's used here in the original Hebrew is Jehovah. And you know what Jehovah means? Jehovah means the Lord will save me. Jehovah is the term for the covenant God, the God that makes agreements, the God that, that writes the check and says, this is non-revocable, right? There's a certainty here. David is certain that God will hear him. He was certain that God is still on the throne, even though David literally is potentially gonna lose his. He still knows and he still trusts God. It's like at the beginning of this lesson, I think we talked about that way to pray, God, you are the God who, right? You are the God who, that doesn't change. Your circumstances do, who he is does not change. I think about how David said, he hears my voice, he redeems my soul. Sometimes, sometimes this is the hardest part, amen? Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to praise God, especially in the chapter one parts of our lives. Um, I immediately, when I got here, I thought about my friend, Amy. I've got a friend, Amy Koch, and if you know her, your life is better, amen? If you don't know her, get to know her because she's super cool and also a little crazy, which is also cool, right? I have never known a person in my life who loves Jesus more, I don't think. I have never known a person who points to Jesus with their whole life, good and the bad, more than my friend Amy. And this is what's crazy about my friend Amy. She is, she is in a battle. She is in a serious chapter one. However, if she were here right now, she'd go, no, I'm good, I'm joyful. But see, cancer's everywhere. And it, it, it was breast cancer and then it came back three years later and it's just everywhere. And she's fighting like heaven. She's fighting like heaven. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. None of us do, right? But this is what I'll tell you about my friend. A couple, a couple months ago, 
If you come to this church, if you come um, to Rock Point, you've probably seen her or heard her. <laughs> You're like, who's that crazy person clapping and yelling? Anytime there's praise going on, she is all in, man. Hands up, standing in the aisle, just crazy stuff. It's great. And um, when the cancer started really kind of wrecking her uh, a couple months ago, she said to our little friend group, we got a close little knit group of friends that get together and pray. And um, she said, I can't go to church anymore because I can't praise like I want to. You know, and, and if you know Amy, like that's the most heartbreaking thing you could ever hear because this is life for her. This is where God really, really just fills her. And she said, I can't do it. I can't praise like I want to. So you know what? My brilliant friend, Christina, had this great idea. She said, why don't we get a couple of our awesome worship friends, the two that we got to see before, Avery and Hannah, and they came over to my house. And just the five of us with Amy, we sat around my living room. I'll never forget as long as I live. And, and Amy snuggled into the deep couch that you sink back into that the dogs always lay on. And she's like sunken into the couch. And at this time, physically, she was having a hard time getting around. It was, it was hard for her to stand this was hard. And, and um, she sunk back into the couch and Avery and Hannah just started playing, you know, and the five of us just were singing. And, and then I hear this, like she didn't stand up and do her Amy stuff. She just couldn't praise that way right now, you know? But what I heard was this, I heard this and I have video to prove it. I'll have to show you sometime. We're singing, they're playing. And all I hear is, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Over and over and over and it was so crazy because it was like, Amy wanted to praise God a certain way and she couldn't do it. And I think about uh, those times in life, right? Where we're struggling, we're really having a hard time. It may not be cancer for you. It may be your home. It may be your marriage. It may be your job. It may be, I don't know, maybe loss. But there's times, right, where we don't get to praise like we want to praise. And I think when we can't stand, we sit. You know, when we can't sing, we moan, amen. When we can't walk, we limp. When we can't laugh, we cry. I just think right here, this is David going, I'm gonna say it and mean it because he will hear me. He is my God. Even when it doesn't look the way I want it to look, even when verses nine and 15 don't just go away, poof, everything's good. He's still in chapter one. He's just gotta praise differently, but he's gotta mean it. That's what Amy's doing. She's just doing it different, you know? Even when it doesn't look like you want to. Well, the last thing I would say that we learned from David is um, we gotta leave it. What is it that you just don't see redemption coming? What is it that you just don't see that God loves you? You just don't see that he sees you. What is it? I would challenge you to leave it. And here's why. Verse uh, 22, David says this. If I can find it. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burdens on the Lord. You know how I looked at this? I'm like, okay, that sounds real churchy and good and everything, but what the heck does that mean? <laughs> how do you do that? You know how I do it? I don't have it all figured out. I really don't. Please, please know this. But here's what happens. When I'm in one of these places where um, it's just so hard, this is what I pray. Four words. Lord, is this mine? 
is this mine to carry or is this yours? Because oftentimes, oftentimes we are women. I know you, I know every one of you, because here's what you do. You take the burdens of the world, all the burdens of the world, all the burdens of your life, all the things, you put them in your backpack and you strap it on and you just kind of keep punching down, right? It keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And God's going, sister, just leave it, just drop it, you know? First Peter chapter five, verse seven, we actually see these exact words, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. All the junk in your backpack, leave it at the throne and leave it. I, I heard this one time, it's like, we're so good about being lost. We're gonna leave it at the throne. We're gonna leave it at the throne. And then everybody walks out and you turn around, you go back and you grab it. <laughs> you put it right back in, right? We do it all the time. I do it for my kids constantly. If you're a parent, you know. If you're a friend, you know. If you're a sister, a mother, whatever you are, you know. A lot of times you're carrying burdens for everyone else. And God's going, would you just trust me with this for just like a minute? I think about Matthew 28, I mean, 11, 28 through 30. You've heard it. If you went to the retreat, you heard it over and over. Jesus's own words, right? It's his quote. These are red letter words, right? Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is this mine? God, is this mine? Show me, just show me. Show me how to leave it. Um, I would say this, you know, uh, another thing I thought about, uh, it's crazy. I told um, Mariah this earlier. Two times in the course of like, I don't know, 10 hours or something, I heard the exact same quote from the exact same, like it, it, would, it was crazy, okay? And so sometimes when that happens, I'm like, okay, was that for me or for us? I think it was for us. Here's what it was. It was a Jill Briscoe quote. And the quote was that um, sometimes there are things that we pray for, right? And we want God to just take the burden away. We just beg for him to take it away, right? And instead, we should pray, God, strengthen my back. For the burdens that I have to carry, strengthen my back, right? And so I think like, gosh, that's so important for us. Some things we need to leave, all things we need to leave essentially, but there are some things that we do carry, amen? There are some things we are responsible for. And for those things, we just say, hey God, I know maybe you're not taking away this chapter one right now, but maybe you could just strengthen me. Could you maybe just strengthen me? Listen, um, I don't know. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you are locked down into this um, chapter one place. I don't know if it's coming for you. I mean, it, it will, right? Like we are always kind of ebbing and flowing in this life, mountaintop valley, mountaintop valley, right? But if there's places in your life that you just don't even feel like this is true, will you look at the words of King David, the king that came because of Ruth and Boaz and remember that even in those dark places, we can praise him. Sometimes it looks different, you know? Sometimes you're sitting on a couch, barely whispering words, but he hears you and he knows you and he sees you and he redeems all things. Sometimes this side of heaven, sometimes not, right? Well, I wanna share some words with you before we go and, um, I, uh, I, I've probably read from this book before to you. It's the blue book. It used to have a blue cover, but my Labradoodle took control of it and now it has this. 
you're welcome. <laughs> um, but this, this book I love and I, I've gone back, you can see, I've gone back to this page a time or two. There's a lot of dates, there's a lot of names. Some of your names are in here. And when we go through those chapter one places, I go back to this because I feel like this is such a beautiful way of saying, hey God, I don't understand, but I love you anyway. And so just listen, think about those places for you that, that, are, that are hard and dark, or maybe the person sitting to your left or your right that is going in those places and, and just, um, just trust that there's abundance coming maybe. Here's the words. This is the words by um, Jim Branch and he wrote this kind of essentially as a, as an open letter to God, okay? He says this, you let it happen. This writing over our heads, whoever or whatever that may have been, you didn't cause it, but you could have stopped it. And I know it doesn't happen every day, but I have seen you spring into action and miraculously come to someone's aid or defense. I have seen you come to protect or deliver. And yet, for some reason, in this case, you did not. You allowed it. Does that mean that you sat idly by and you watched? Or does it mean that although the brokenness of this world was the cause, you are big enough to bring beauty out of the tragedy? You saw it coming, you let it stand. And because of what you knew it would do within us, you knew that the groaning it would produce would have an effect on us like nothing else would or could. So where exactly were you when we were going through the fire, being consumed by the agonizing flames of grief or sadness or mourning or pain? What were you doing when the mighty waters were like rushing over our heads? They swept us under and we struggled and fought to survive and keep our heads above water. Were you with us in some mysteriously hidden way that we were not able to completely comprehend at the time? Were you in the midst of the fire with us, shielding us? from the fury of the flames? Were you in the middle of the raging currents beside us, holding us up, keeping us afloat? After all, you know what the groaning is like. In fact, you know it like no other. Did it break your heart to have to watch the riding over us unfold? To know the depths of the pain that we were going through and not intervene. How hard it must've been. When we were in the midst of the groan, it's hellish. And it's hard to believe or even consent to the fact that something good might possibly result from the chaos and brokenness. Much less to think that it could possibly be abundance. That's the most unthinkable thing. Yet all of us on the backside of this riding over we usually have to admit that something took place within us or among us that could not have happened any other way. We would never have chosen the path in a million years, nor would we do it again if we had to, but we can't deny the beauty of the new place where we eventually arrived. There have been a lot of groaning going on lately. And it seems to be coming from every direction. And I guess it's true that each one of us sits beside a pool of tears and it's so hard to watch the groaners groan and the mourners mourn and the strugglers struggle and not be able to do anything but pray. It's so tempting to try to come in and rescue, carry the backpack, right? 
But rescue isn't really possible or sometimes even preferable because something much deeper is going on. In the words of Gerald May, there's no way out, only through. Something deep and wonderful happens in the going through. So we must resist the urge to provide an escape if that were even possible because the struggle or the groaning or the grief or the pain is the very thing that is able to do a beautiful work within us. All there is for us to do is trust. Trust that God really is in control. Trust that God really is up to something in spite of all appearances. And trust that God really is big enough to sustain, to comfort, to deliver, to heal, and ultimately transform. Trust that through the fire and through the water lies a place of abundance. You know, the last words uh, of the book of Ruth go like this. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And then the last words of Psalm 55, the words of King David but I will trust you. I just think that God has something to tell us today in the midst of our chapter ones that chapter four is coming, but not the way we think, right? Sometimes this side of heaven, sometimes not. I'm gonna pray. Uh, Lord, you're big enough. I don't know why we did this today, but I feel like somebody in here needed to know that, um, that you see them and you know them and they can trust you and that there's abundance coming and that there's redemption coming, but it will not look like they think. Doesn't look like we think. That's why you're God. We love you because you are the God who we can trust in the chapter one and in the chapter four. Um, you let it happen sometimes, God. And even when you do, we wanna trust you. And sometimes it doesn't feel true and it's okay for us to say that to you. And I love that you are a God who loves us so much that you're like, come on, tell me, tell me all the things. Thank you. God, remind us that we can know who you are. You are who you say you are. You are Jehovah. Father, even when we don't feel it, remind us what we can know. And I thank you so much that you love us enough to come down into this world, into this life and endure and go through the things that we go through. You know every pain, you understand every struggle. And so Father, I pray that we can lean into you instead of running away from you. And so um, wherever we are, God, in this, in this crazy life that we have, I pray that you are with us and make, us, make it so very clear that you are. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen.